Dotnet Rocks episode 713 with guest Neil McIsaac. Recorded live Thursday, October 13th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to Dotnet Rocks, Carl and Richard. I'm in uh, Connecticut, Richard's in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we're all here on the internet. I'm here. Isn't you're it amazing? Here. We're all here. We're fine. How are you? How are you? We're soon <laughs> to be in Bulgaria. In fact, you're leaving right after this recording, aren't you? Yes, although I think the show's published a few weeks even after that, but I, I looked at our conference stack for the fall, and it's like the next four or five weeks nonstop. Yeah, we're going to have some great shows here. I'm really ex- I love when we do shows at events. We just get that's where you get those great panel discussions. You just get different viewpoints on things. So, so much fun. I, the fall is always fun. Hey, trivia question. Hit me. What song is this? What is it, Richard? That's Rue Marie. That's one of your really nice ballads. That's right. And that's on the new album, Lifeboat to Nowhere, by myself and my brother. We've been working on it for 10 years. After we do this show, I go to work in the studio. Hey, well, maybe only four hours a week, but it's been a while. <laughs> and uh, my brother and I, we got a nice string section from the Eastern Connecticut Symphony in here to play on that track. Man, we had such a good time. Yeah, so and, go and buy such it. a nice sound. So go buy it. It's Lifeboat to Nowhere. You can get it at franklinbros.com. Let's get into Better Know Framework. Awesome. And today I'm going to jump over to WPF because you know what? It's not dead. Nope. Silverlight's not dead. WPF's not dead. Nobody's dead. We're all fine. How are you? I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I'm getting better. I'm still kicking. (laughs) Actually, I'm not doing WPF at all. I'm just joking. Really? Yeah. I'm going to talk about, uh, in .NET Framework 4, the system.web.mobile namespace. What? Which contains the core capabilities, including authentication and error handling, required for building ASP.NET mobile web applications. Interesting. For information about how to develop ASP.NET mobile applications, see the www.asp.net slash mobile website. This is right out of the docs. The mobile capabilities class provides a single source for accessing capability information about a client device and for performing queries against device capabilities. The mobile forms authentication class supports cookie list devices by appending appropriate authentication information to the appropriate URLs. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. And the best part of all, all the classes are obsolete. Of course they are. Psych. (laughs) What are you doing? Sorry, I'm in a I'm in a fun mood. You're 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 being difficult. (laughs) Richard, who's talking to us? You really you're just gonna leave it like that? Yeah, you know, every once in a while I gotta pull a boner on (laughs) listeners. I just got a pie in the face. Because everybody's like, what? What? (laughs) Wait a second. Sorry. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 694, which, if you recall, was Carrie Hamill talking about the .NET gadgets. Yeah. Right? The .NET Micro Framework and the Gadgeteer Initiative and so forth. Although, I grabbed this comment because... It actually, uh, is sort of off to the side of this. It was one of, this was one of those digressions we had, right? This is from Barry Wark, and he mm-hmm. says, the discussion on offloading processing from small devices to the cloud seems like a very deep topic. I believe that both Android and the Dragon Dictation app for iPhone take this approach. But in contrast, iOS uses dedicated signal processing hardware. 
which, wait a second, iOS is iPhone, but I'm with you, especially mm. in context with the iPhone 4S, which is now released, which has Siri on it, mm-hmm. which is doing other stuff. And then you also can look at Mango, which I don't, most people may not know this. If you have a Mango WinPhone 7, built into Bing now is identifying music, uh, mm-hmm. voice-based searching, yep. voice-based texting, image-based cool. searching. It's all just built right in. So, yeah. you know, the lot interesting amount of horsepower in the phone that's being used for this kind of stuff. Very cool. But Barry goes on to say, it seems the best of both worlds is possible. Run the processing locally and on the cloud. In areas of poor connectivity or high latency, you at least get an answer from the hardware. In cases where you can reach to the cloud resources, you might get a better answer. Hmm. So do your processing locally while you also ship it off and then compare the two, right? And you don't have to wait necessarily. Yeah, cool. And But Barry's not done yet. He's got me thinking here. But in this light, I'm surprised that Microsoft isn't pushing the reactive extensions in this context ah, more heavily. Right. One of the classic reaction extensions demos is the fire these two tasks and give me the answer from whichever comes back first, which seems like a match made in heaven for this scenario. Absolutely. Do the reactive extensions run in the .NET micro framework? And if not, why not? And then I looked into this and the answer is no, they do not. But they could. I just don't think they've gotten there yet. You know, it seems like the reactive extensions, which I think they had bigger plans. You know, when I first looked at this, and we did a sh- we were going to do a show around it. Mm. It seemed like it was going to be a much larger framework. Yeah. Um, but now it's sort of stayed in the JavaScript space. And, you know, I, I think we haven't seen what's going to really happen with reactive extensions yet. But I tend to agree with Barry. It's a great idea. Not so much for the code side, but the pattern side. That This is a good pattern. And we're going to see a lot more of it in this small device connected to the cloud scenario. So, Barry, thanks for making me think and do some research, man. Great idea. I'll send you a mug. And if you'd like a mug, you can write a comment on the .netrocks.com website or send us an email at .netrocks at franklins.net. Show enough. Show enough. And that brings us to our guest, Richard. Our guest today is Neil McIsaac, and he is an accomplished educator, consultant, and developer who specializes in enterprise application development and integration, application architecture, and business intelligence. As an instructor, Neil shares his knowledge and years of experience with students on a wide range of topics, including SharePoint, BizTalk, SQL, .NET development, and PowerShell. Neil is an owner of Blue Green Information Technologies, Incorporated, and has over 18 years' experience working in the IT industry in both the private and public sectors. His focus on large-scale application development and integration keeps Neil involved almost exclusively with enterprise-level companies, However, he also works in every level of government. And if that wasn't all, Neil lives in New Brunswick, Canada. In his spare time, he enjoys downhill skiing, golf, and a new motorcycle. Congratulations on the motorcycle, Neil. Hey, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my pride and joy. I've actually just rolled over about 700K on it. And what is it? And, um, it's, a, it's a Yamaha FZ6 uh, 2006. Ooh. And, and the, the biggest thing is that I, I'm a rookie driver, so that, that's the excitement. Ah, so do other, do like Harleys pass you whizzing by flipping you the bird kind of thing or? Uh, no, it's, it's usually the other way around. There's <laughs> some bird flipping, but <laughs> it's usually because I'm passing them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, tell us, you're, uh, a share, SharePoint guru. And this is sort of one of the things that we want to touch on today. Sure. So, uh, uh, so I, I got into SharePoint actually quite a long time ago, um, and it was one of these things that uh, you know I, I started off in the world of site server. Uh, grew up with uh, uh, the first couple of versions of SharePoint, and it was always you know, hey, that's kind of neat. Uh, it has a bunch of issues. Well, that's the nicest way to put that. Yeah. that. yeah, that's a nice way to put that. You started out with site server. I feel for you, man. That's, that's <laughs> It has a bunch of issues. Yeah, it's sort of like sticking needles in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's got some issues. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 issues like you're talking to somebody in an insane asylum. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're trying to defend your retarded brother. You know, <laughs> he's got yeah. some issues. Yeah, he is prone to hitting himself in the head with a hammer, but you know, he has some issues. And I did not mean that as an infant. Uh, an insult to mentally disabled people. I'm there you totally go. ashamed of myself <laughs> for even saying that word. Anyway. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I got into site, uh, 
data site server, then eventually moved over to SharePoint, you know, the MCS, uh, uh, MCMS solution. There we go. And uh, in about 2007, you know, as, as we all know, SharePoint just uh, really blossomed. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's, it's come of age, but there's enough infrastructure in there that, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that it's just completely dominated the market. Um, and for good reason, because there's so much into it. And so moving from that into SharePoint 2010, uh, a couple things that we've kind of seen. One is that there's uh, just a, a huge demand for people that know the product. So right. uh, coming from my background, it's just been more and more SharePoint every single day, uh, which I can't complain. If you, if you know the product, you don't hate it as much as everybody else, um, uh. <laughs> because it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of growing pains, and it's pretty it's a pretty pain, painful walk for everybody, so. I like the way that I like the way that you say you like it. You don't hate it as much as everybody else. <laughs> no, and I think what you're getting at here is that you know it's a it's a very powerful platform, but it the developer interface to it, and especially when you're writing custom modules, is is wonky and painful. Oh, uh, it's better yeah, now. Absolutely, it's better now, but it was a long, painful struggle. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the development tools within the 2007 environment were essentially non-existent. Yeah. Uh, we had to, we had to do everything by hand. It, it was, it was horrible for, for the amount of developer support that we had. Um, into 2010, we, we actually have tools that work, which is awesome to, to actually have things to make life easier. Um, but, but we still have the learning curve and that's actually where, where I, I find that most developers really struggle. And this is not just that SharePoint 2010 is a better version of SharePoint, but also that Studio 2010 knows about SharePoint? Absolutely. Um, one of the problems in, in the previous products was, that, was the integration between Visual Studio and, and uh, SharePoint. With the 2007 product, as an example, we had you know the Visual Studio extensions for SharePoint, for WSS, and they, they just, for the most part, they didn't work. Um, you know, we saw a lot of third-party tools kind of pop up, um, it really helped things, but we, we really didn't see that core support from Microsoft. They, you know, if this is going to be a, a, a core platform, how do we develop for it and have the development tools actually work with it nicely? Right. Um, there was, uh, even issues between, you know, SharePoint, uh, designer and Visual Studio, which, you know, is, is part of the, the development, uh, uh, um, plethora of, of applications that we need to use. And, uh, in 2007, they just didn't, they didn't want to integrate, right? We had workflows. If you design them in one spot, they wouldn't port over. Ouch. So, yeah, yeah. And I, the list goes on and on. Um, back when, you know, I was doing a lot of, uh, uh, training and consulting for, uh, the 2007 product, a lot of my talk around the development tools were simply bashing them. It was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This doesn't work properly. This doesn't work properly. All right. Let's start from Visual Studio. How do we go and configure it to, uh, to do what we want. It was a uh, you know, long manual configuration on it. Now, in 2010, we open up a Visual Studio 2010 project, and we just say, I want one of these, I want to point it at this site, uh, and we can actually make it, uh, we can debug it pretty much into the box, and it gives us a platform that we can actually uh, modify properly, which is really great. And I'm still getting my headaches around exactly what the developer's role is in SharePoint because SharePoint, out of the box, does that sort of content management and document management thing, right? What do developers actually need to build? Yeah, great question. Um, this is this is uh, one of the one of the biggest issues that I find with SharePoint. There's a, there's a few things that I find SharePoint really highlight in an organization, um, and the main two, and I'll come back to your question here, is um, the main two is first off, information architecture. Um, SharePoint out of the box doesn't really do a great job in information architecture. It has all the tools there. It has everything uh, available to, to organizations, but for the most part, because it's easy for companies to turn around and say, well, I, I want to share documents. I shove them in a library and look, I did it. I didn't have to involve the developer and, and off they go. Um, it actually sets them up for failure longer term. Really? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it really fails a lot of the things about fundamental information management. And so, as an example, you know, with a SharePoint site, there's, a, there's, a, we get a shared documents library. 
And so I, I like to ask people, well, what would you put in the shared documents library? And I was like, well, documents I want to share. Is there anything different between those documents? Well, they're in the same place. Like, they're different documents. Well, do they involve different projects? Do they, uh, are they, do they have different permissions around them and, and things like this? And they go, well, yeah. So why are you putting in the, in the same box? Right? We, we have the ability in SharePoint to have different libraries, to append stuff with, with metadata and to leverage the metadata. And a lot of organizations actually just don't use it. <clears throat> to them, it's a glorified file share. Right. And, and in the same way that their file share is a mess, uh, their SharePoint's a mess. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and so one of the questions becomes, you know, how do we fix that? And so the developer's role is kind of uh, twofold to, to help this. Um, one is if, they, if they're able to get it in the initiation phase is to help better architect it and say, yeah, but long-term, we need to be able to process this data. Right. Um, how, do, how does it move and how, and how do we determine what moves and to, to hopefully do a better architecture. And for that, the, you know, the, the SharePoint developer really needs to know a lot about SharePoint architecture. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and, and this is the one that I'm, you know, I, I, I know there's developers out there that, that are in this situation now where they can see it coming like a brick wall, is that they've had a SharePoint solution for a while, and the thing grows. It's, it's grown to the point where the documents are a mess, and, and then they start realizing, oh, we, we really should have architected this better, and it becomes the, the developer's problem to fix it. Right which is a horrible situation to be in as a developer because, you know, everybody's panicking and say, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. So, and we have this, this big hairball of a mess. Um, so, you know, make it better. But, you know, this is also the reality of most software development, right? Is that we, it seems like we don't spend enough time on architecture often, but it only becomes an issue when the app is even moderately successful. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the things that's a little bit different with this one is that SharePoint is so incredibly user-driven. Right. That, that so many people can get into SharePoint solutions, you know, they, they do the install, they see a, a three-minute demo online, and they're like, wow, I click, 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 look, I can share all this with my team. And, and it really sets up for the, to get the ball rolling without the developer really even being part of that mix. Well, even the IT guy is part of, not even part of the mix, right? It's a very viral product. People just stand up their own SharePoint instances and off they go. You know, in March, Mary Jo Foley said uh, in one of her columns that Microsoft says it's adding 20,000 new SharePoint users a day. Wow. And they have been adding 20,000 users per day every day for the last five years, according to... Uh, director of SharePoint Product Management, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but Jared Spataro. That means 7.3 million new SharePoint users every year. But how many of those are actually planned? And how many of them are just that sort of viral, spontaneous yikes? Who knows? Well, yeah, a lot of times I, I joke around with, with clients that, you know, when I ask if they're using SharePoint, they're like, no, not yet. And I just look at them like, you will be assimilated. <laughs> resistance is futile that's uh that's um tim huckabee's line it's a SharePoint world we're just living in it yeah. it's like living with a cat <laughs> it's the cat's house they're just letting you stay there yeah a, a cat on a lot of catnip so i mean on one side of this there's sort of the architectural planning that goes into a good sharepoint implementation and and I, again i'm going to throw my it hat on here because there are government information governments rules and and those kinds of things that i think are part of the equation as well but still wrestling with so what's the development job like what are the things that developers build sure. i can you know i can chime in here a little bit from the brief uh bit i've done with SharePoint, which is basically watching Sahil tell me everything he knows for our videos. But it's that custom module development that where the, where you really need a developer. So tell us when you would need a custom module. Sure. So with, uh, with SharePoint in general, a lot of times I'll break down the an application into its simplest form, where an application is simply data plus process. And in a SharePoint world, the data is actually, you know, the data storage is, a, is usually a little easier to see because we have, you know, list libraries, uh, we have uh, uh, external data in a place like this. Um, it's the 
process that actually tends to be a, a bit of a challenge. And so, you know, one one of the key areas for for developers is to implement those business processes nicely. Um, a lot of the times, if users are kind of left to their own, which we've mentioned, it happens quite often. The the catch, what happens with that is that the user will tend to implement a business process that's not impl- that that's not automated. That um, you know, they say, well, Joe down the hall when they uh, when they uh, send an email that this is that they've done their job on this document, and somebody you know, Mary further down the hall is is supposed to do this, and and there's a lot of work. Although there's workflows, etc., there, there's a there's a level that goes beyond the user very quickly to implement a good automated process. Um, so. With with the process side of things, the developer, the easy one to point out is, is workflow. So talking about you know an on premises, and I'm, I'm going to try and make the distinction between on premises versus uh, SharePoint Online. Um, on premises solutions, we see you know the the, the robust uh, workflows being implemented and and done, uh, as well as when we're talking modules, you know things like uh, web parts, etc. That that will display the the data in a nicer format that goes beyond what the UI really allows, um, but it really is kind of part of that business that that flow uh, to to show the data, to interact with the data, etc., and and to have the, the workflow be implemented fully. Um, although the 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 user can do a fair amount of that, it really depends on their skill level, and and it it's there's a, a breaking point where the user just can't do it. Um, they either they don't know enough about tools like SharePoint Designer, uh, where they, they don't want to touch SharePoint Designer, we don't let them, uh, and the developer really needs to kind of take it from that point forward. But that's not the only place that we do it, though. I mentioned that, uh, you know, we have data and then we have uh, process, you know, in the simplest form. Um, the other the other key area that, that most developers, SharePoint developers get, uh, and I'm going to say eventually trapped in, uh, because I, I don't think any any developer really likes being in this area, but it, it's on SharePoint branding. 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 Doing doing you know going through CSS and the master pages and and things like that. Um, SharePoint's a really complicated product, so when you're looking at you know branding something like this, it, playing around with a master page, it's not that straightforward than a typical ASP.NET app. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. We have a lot of, of similar things that we're doing as a developer in SharePoint, but there's just a lot that's already done for us. So right. We can just you know, leverage a, a lot of the building blocks of SharePoint, kind of stacking Lego, if you will. Um, and then we just... Say, well, we don't have a piece of Lego that we really need, and we build that piece rather than doing uh, something like an ASP.NET application from the ground up. But when we do ASP.NET applications, um, just as an example, a lot of the times the application is relatively simple. It's a fairly flat application. The CSS is relatively simple. There might be a you know a, a few master pages, uh, and it you know the application structure is relatively flat. And then we jump over to SharePoint where we're in the stack of Lego that, you know, we have this enterprise level ASP.NET application that all of a sudden we're building something on top of. So to give you an idea, um, you know, the master page is huge. Um, an, an easy number that I usually throw out there to distinguish a lot of the difference. 
you guys have done some CSS. What would you say would be a relatively large CSS file, the number of lines? The number of lines? Yeah, number of lines in a CSS file. I've no. ne- I've never I've I've learned never to guess because there's always something bigger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if you got a 20k uh CSS, you've got a big CSS. That's like a couple hundred lines. Yeah, the, the one in the core now there's a couple different CSS files that come with SharePoint, but the core one, the main one that gets used is 7500 lines. Holy crap. That's just one CSS file, it's not the only one. So, <laughs> you know, the the challenge you know, in building, it, and it's it's kind of a bit of a catch-22, is that the developer in SharePoint needs to build this one, you know, or, or a couple pieces and build it on top of existing ones. But they really need to understand all the existing ones and how it works. And so going back to, yeah, there's a huge CSS file there that's already done. You just need to tweak it, and, and all of a sudden you're swimming with the shark. It's, you know, it's a large file to go in and manage. And, you know, the, the master page is, is somewhat similar. There's a lot of SharePoint complexities that are in that. So it actually takes the developer quite a bit of time to go through that learning curve right? to, to pick up all those pieces of what's already there and how to manipulate it. Well, um, what's in that thing that it needs to be that big? Like, I'm just wondering what the impact on browser performance is because rendering CSS is not a free thing. Yeah, well, that one, the, the CSS file, uh, basically, uh, I, I kind of joke around that almost everything has a tag to it in a page. Right. And uh, there's a there's a number of, of of uh, CSS uh, styles that are that are applied uh, a little bit more across uh, different uh, different classes right, within the HTML. Um, right. But for the for the most part, a lot of it is incredibly granular. So uh, it would be you know something along the lines of it's a text field, but it's um, underneath the the, uh, the search dialog that's underneath this, that's underneath this, that's underneath this, it actually gets a slightly different style. Right. Well, and, and is it a developer the right person to be messing with that? Or should we really be aiming at, you know, a webmaster of some kind, you know, a web developer? Yeah, well, somebody gets gets thrown in that. And um, unfortunately, with a lot of the 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 the, the, the graphical guys that are out mm-hmm. there, uh, men and women, the the issue becomes it gets so complicated that they throw it back on the developer's lap. Right. But it's just a mess. Like, you fix it. Well, so because the developer is responsible for all things that are evil in Microsoft. Exactly. So, you're a Microsoft person. This is your fault. Don't huh. <laughs> make it go away. Yeah. So, so, you know, so on that side, you know, the developer's role kind of becomes uh, a lot of, you know, it's a lot of glue, if you will, to make things work in SharePoint, the way right. that we want them to work. When you're back to this idea that there really is an expertise for a, a, as a SharePoint developer, and this sounds like one element of it. Absolutely. And, and like, overall, if you take a step back, just uh, take, take a step back away from CSS for a second. If you look at the, the developer's role across the boards, as far as technologies go, we're talking CSS, HTML, uh, Workflow Foundation, ASP.NET, uh, everything, you know, .NET as far as assemblies, et cetera, go. Um, what have I left out? WCS, Silverlight. And I know there's probably another half a dozen technologies that I, I've kind of skipped in there. Uh, Atom and REST. Uh, right. They'll have all the services on top of it that we're trying to build on top of. So things like Search, Excel, you know, Access and, and Visio and et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, we're trying to avoid reinventing the wheel, but we we have to look at the wheel that's there and and figure out how to how to make it work the way we want to. And so, you know, that part integrating what the the SharePoint team uh, or a lot of the the SharePoint world tends to put out now as is referring to as composites. Um, the developer's role is really to build those composites and to fill in those gaps. Well, you mentioned Silverlight. Of course, my ears are perking up and. You know, I know that I know that we've done shows on Silverlight and SharePoint before, but it's been a while, and I, I guess I'd like to revisit. You know, how that process works. Do you build your Silverlight apps as in uh, in browser apps first, and then just sort of plug them in with the URL, or do you um, build components in you know the SharePoint developer something? How does that work? And also, are there any special constraints? that uh, SharePoint puts on those? 
Um, for the most part, SharePoint's pretty open. Now, SharePoint on-premises is pretty open. And we'll come back to SharePoint Online a little bit. That's the one that, that a lot of developers, once they get into SharePoint, they look at SharePoint Online and go, wow, everything's really locked down. So one of the things about Silverlight is we're doing it, we're executing it within the browser. So the the simple version of Silverlight is that we're going to make a Silverlight app, and we basically just upload it to SharePoint. When we click on it, it's actually downloaded and executing in the browser, so um, it's not part of SharePoint per se. Uh, there, there are some Silverlight controls to uh, to help out with it, specifically some you know Silverlight web parts to run Silverlight apps and, and things like that to help out with it. But it really isn't um, SharePoint running the Silverlight app. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the Silverlight app, SharePoint in uh, 2010 introduced the client object model, uh, which is incredibly powerful compared to what we had in 2007. Uh, in 2010, the client object model is basically, uh, depending on the client, we have a, a set of libraries that we can utilize. So uh, these are usable in JavaScript, Silverlight, uh, Windows applications, anything that's really outside, of, it's executing outside of SharePoint. The nice thing about it is the same object model across everything. So within a Silverlight app, we can turn around and... and uh, establish a connection to SharePoint, uh, execute uh, uh, code against lists and mm. uh, manipulate the data, anything that we want to do. And what's happening is is those libraries are essentially taking the commands that we want to run, passing them over to SharePoint as a WCF call, re-executing everything and give us, giving us the, uh, the results back. Mm. And so Silverlight in, in the SharePoint side of things becomes... SharePoint delivers the, the Silverlight application out to the browser, essentially, and then the Silverlight app just talks back to, to SharePoint. They do this, do this, show me this data, and uh, away it goes. That sort of brings up the whole concept of Light Switch as well, since it's got a hook to SharePoint and it generates Silverlight. Mm. Mm. So a um, couple things that I, that I usually uh, mention to people about SharePoint. Um, when, I, when I get asked, you know, like, can SharePoint do X? Uh, when I'm doing training sessions or uh, presenting anywhere, you know, I, I, I usually stop everybody and kind of go, if you have a question that starts off with, can SharePoint do X? Um, I don't even care what the X is. The answer is yes, it can. And I used to joke around that, that SharePoint could do everything but Julian carrots, but then I saw the, the, the robotics SDK get released. <laughs> I just had to figure out the whole chopping thing. <laughs> Not a big deal anymore. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Although, you know, a good Julienne is, you know, not easy. No, as long as I get the engineering side down, that's I think right. I got it down. I got the coding side. That's a piece of cake. Yeah, that's an analog problem. We got the digital nailed. It takes a very talented programmer. <laughs> <laughs> so it can always do it. The question is, is it actually a good idea? Yeah, and that that's the tough question. Right. So... You know, with, with the, the whole connected everywhere, connected everything model that we have now, where it's a matter of, like, where is my data and what are the different ways I can connect to it, SharePoint kind of leverages that quite a bit because we do have, you know, WCF. We do have uh, REST and, and uh, Atom and, you know, all these different ways to get basically in and out of, of SharePoint. Um, so when it comes to Silverlight with the client object model and having that not just as part of Silverlight but also... Uh, in JavaScript and in Windows, like ha- having the libraries that we can just add from .NET to basically any application, it, you know, it becomes well, what can't you do with SharePoint? And so that that one is is kind of interesting. Um, the the question of what is the best way to do it is absolutely the toughest question to do with SharePoint because you know it, it feels like you're swimming in a box of Lego. And, you know, not, not a little box. It's like up to your neck type box. And you're swimming through all these pieces going, well, which pieces do I use and, and what's the best way? Right. And it, it can actually be relatively tough to prototype something because we have to put together a lot of pieces to maybe simulate, you know, a, a proof of concept for an enterprise application. Whereas, you know, it's like, yeah, you click here, you click here, you click this, and you set this up, and you, you iron out some bugs. And say, yeah, we can do it, um, but we spent a month doing that. Right. Or, or whatever the, the numbers are. Um, and so 
the the developer in there really has to know a lot about what is the best way. So how do they do that? First off, they need to know a lot about SharePoint. Um, and so one of the benchmarks that I that I push out to uh, primarily people working with consulting firms, and, and this is I, I find if you're in the market to hire a SharePoint consultant, um, it, it's a really tough market because we don't have enough of them. Uh, but enough good ones and trying to weed out the bad ones. Um, a lot of companies are so desperate for anybody that knows anything about SharePoint, they'll, they'll hire anybody. Right. So one of the benchmarks that I push out there is that if you present a SharePoint developer with a, a problem set is they should be able to come up with at minimum three different solutions and be able to walk you through the pros and cons of the different approaches. And this is a good short-term solution. This is a good long-term solution. Uh, this is why does the short-term solution, you know, it's good. There's a few manual steps, but, you know, we can have this up and running tomorrow, whereas a longer-term solution, the architecture is better, that we have metadata that can exist for longer term. We can extend it more easily, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and not just two solutions, but three, preferably up to about six. Wow. Yeah, and that, you know that that's unheard of with any other application because usually we're given a clean slate to work with. Right? Somebody asked me, you know, to make a, a Windows app or a, an ASP.NET app or anything like that, and you're going to design it from the ground up. And, and in the SharePoint solution, we're actually we're, we are trying to piece those things together. So it's more important on how to put those pieces. Uh, one of the analogies that you know, just to visualize this a little bit better, is uh, you know, coming back to the Lego bit. I, I tell people, if I gave everybody a box of Lego and I said, build me an airplane, everybody would come up with a different airplane. It's yeah. not to say any one of them would be correct, but, you know, if, if my solution was to snap two pieces together and say, those are the wings, that's the, that's the fuselage, um, is my solution wrong? Well, no, it's ugly. It's, it sort of works. Um, but if the person beside me turned around and, and modeled like a, a 747 out of Lego, with uh, you know, articulating wheels and everything, it would take them a lot longer to do that, but it, it's definitely a, a more beautiful solution. Um, and then we have all the all the range of, of ideas in between those uh, in between there. And the same is kind of true when it comes to doing the uh, like a, a clean slate application, ASP.NET based application we just built up. Um, but we get to design the pieces, the core pieces, the way we want to. Um, whereas in the SharePoint solution. There's a lot of, we try and do the reuse as much as possible. Well, and I guess that's the main thing is, you know, are you designing for maintainability? Are you designing to get the quickest thing out there? You know, there's a lot of different criteria. I think it's just back to that original architectural discussion. And I guess another factor, this has got to be cloud. Does it make sense to do your own SharePoint deployment anymore? There's so many other ways. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, actually. Um, the cloud is doing a, a little research this week uh, on it, just to kind of where everything's at. And some of the numbers that I, I came across, um, you know, just all over the map, but, you know, research from like Gartner and, you know, the whole, all, all the research uh, groups, um, everybody agrees that it's a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. Right. Um, the real question is just how multi, how many billions are in there and what kind of time frame it's in. Um, when, when we look at the cloud stuff, first off, just one of these things, when people say cloud stuff, does, does it envision fluffy bunnies to you guys? Um, <laughs> no, it en- envisions diagrams of fluffy things. Nice. <laughs> yeah. With circles and arrows. Yeah. Every time somebody says cloud, I think fluffy bunnies. It's a series of tubes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the catch of the cloud, um, is, we're developing in a shared environment of some sort. And so this is where we get all of a sudden all the restrictions. Um, we get a whole lot more question marks because the data, you know, the data is being stored uh, probably off-site. Um, and we have all these different architectures of, of where things are, how we get access to it. So just, you know, talking that, that simple application model where it's, you know, process plus data, um, where does the data live? And it's where does all the data live? Because right. we, we can have data on premise, we can have data off premise, we can in an application might be to uh to combine that data and, and show it in a meaningful way. Um and then we have the process where we need to connect to the data and manipulate it, et cetera. So um 
some companies, you know, smaller companies, and my company, for example, runs uh, 100% in the cloud right now. Now, we're a small company, so it works pretty well for us. We don't have a lot of data. We don't have a lot of employees or anything. Um, and uh, the availability and the maintenance just goes, it's gone. I, you know, I used to have servers here, and they're, they're gone. Right. Which is awesome. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's, and I'm one of these people that, that I don't mind switching roles into the, you know, putting on the IT pro hat. Um, but, uh, you know, I, spending enough weekends rebuilding a server and, and whatnot because it's, you know, as one of the owners, it's, it has to be done. It has to be done. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a horrible way to spend a weekend. And, you know, companies out there that are paying staff to do that, that's, that's a, that's a, a big cost. And well, in irrespective not, of the cloud itself, there's always just SharePoint hosting, right? Oh, absolutely. And and that that gets kind of interesting because the the hosting environment versus cloud, uh, the biggest distinction between the two is availability. Right. So, um, a really really simplified version of this is to have a hosting company where you're basically buying one single server. Um, I have traded the on-site server for an off-site server that somebody else is managing. Right. Uh, but it still has the potential to essentially go down, you know, reboot for maintenance and, and things like that. The cloud is much more a layered architecture. So it's, it's much more service-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and the extensibility of the cloud, you know, and this is, again, I'm kind of simplifying the theory behind it, uh, is to, to really be able to light up almost instantaneously anywhere. So when a, you know, if a bank of servers goes, goes down somewhere, it, it's, it's not really noticed. Uh, right. Overall, and, and you know, I, I joke around to a lot of people like, are, "Are you using the cloud?" And, and now there's a few more companies that do it, and a few more people that, that say yes to this. But uh, not that long ago, people were like, "No, we don't use the cloud at all." I'm like, "Really? You, you don't use like Hotmail or like Facebook?" Right. So th- mm-hmm. Those are those are services, and, and essentially the same concept behind what we're doing with the cloud. So when we're buying something like SharePoint Online, um, we're buying more of the service. However, you know, the, there's a big distinction between those two. Um, and when it comes to the developer, it's, it's, it comes down to what you can do. Because in the cloud, all of a sudden, in the SharePoint Online model, as an example, we're, we're buying a what's referred to as a SharePoint tenant. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. SharePoint Online, just to be clear for everyone, this is actually a product, right? Like this is, this is Microsoft's product, SharePoint Online? Absolutely. This is this is part of the Office 365 offering. Uh, okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, f- for those that are, are interested in this, the Office 365 offering includes uh, SharePoint Online, Exchange Online, Link Online, um, and uh, that's the mo- that, that's the the core stuff. For some reason, I think I'm forgetting something. But well, in all of Office. Oh, in all of Office. Yeah, yeah. So- yeah, there, you forgot a little piece there. Yeah, just yeah. Well, Office is such a small application. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get just a, a little note bit. The Office team now. Well, and I, and I appreciate that you led with SharePoint because everybody else I talked to about Office 365 leads with Exchange. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Right, because right? Exchange is sort of the thing. It's like you don't have to run Exchange Server anymore. And as a guy who runs Exchange Server, I understand why they want that. I just remember the story my brother told me about the Oracle guys coming in with to set up Oracle on their company, you know, and it was on this just enormous gigabyte drive, like just this huge, and that was just the app, you know, not the data. And and my brother said, man, that's big. And he said, this ain't no wimpy Microsoft product. (laughs) And I thought, have you seen Exchange? Yes. You obviously have not met Exchange. (laughs) You met my friend Exchange. (laughs) (laughs) My Exchange server can beat up your Oracle server any day. Oh, my God. <laughs> this ain't no wimpy Microsoft product. That's, that's funny. <laughs> it almost sounds so, like they, you know, the product beats their servers to death. Right. You yeah. got more bits than you. Yeah. 
No, and then, and, and, yeah, exchange is the product I fear, but that's not today's show. SharePoint <laughs> Online, how different is it from regular SharePoint? Okay, so uh, it, it's it's fairly different, and, and here's here's kind of why. It, it makes sense. The, the, the whole tenant uh, model is that what you're buying from SharePoint is, uh, from Microsoft, is a piece of SharePoint on a SharePoint server, essentially, right? That's kind of the, the concept. And so if I buy SharePoint Online and you buy SharePoint Online, there's a possibility that our two SharePoint Online solutions are actually sitting on the same hardware. Right. At any one time. And so all of a sudden, those two solutions have to play nicely with each other. So um, with Exchange, it's not as big of a problem because we don't tend to modify things like the file system in Exchange. We don't right. throw DLLs in the GAC as, you know, as just something to do with Exchange. Um, but we roll over to SharePoint and all of a sudden, you know, the developer is going, well, I, I deploy my DLLs to the GAC. I modify the, the SharePoint roots or for the older people listening, 14 hive. Um, the, you know, I, I look at the, the server and I have access to these things that I can modify the file system. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, back with the, uh, the other show with, uh, Sahil, uh, he mentioned, and this is one thing that I, I can't stress enough for developers that are working on an on-premise solution is don't touch the Microsoft files. It, there's ASP don't do files it. Laying there. Yeah, don't do it. Just, yeah. Step away. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just replay that bit maybe from, from their show, right. uh, from that show. The, yeah, the, it's, uh, and it's so easy because we see files, you know, ASPX files. I'm a developer. I know how to make ASPX files and modify them. Why, why shouldn't I? Right. And so, um, and so developers get into that area and it's uh, on an on-premise solution. That's a viable solution where you go and you add your own custom files, your own ASPX pages right to the file system and you light them up in, in, uh, your different SharePoint sites and there's different ways to do that. But, um, it, it's a way of deploying something, a, a custom solution. And then all of a sudden in SharePoint Online, just imagine, you know, the, the my SharePoint Online and your SharePoint Online sitting in the same server. And I go modify the, the, the root. Right. At the SharePoint root directory. And I have direct file system access or things like that. And essentially things that I, I could possibly break the server and, you know, really cause problems on, on the back end. And so for that reason, the SharePoint online model, uh, has a lot of restrictions for it. So things like you, you can't run, uh, code with full trust. You can't, uh, do workflows because those actually have to run with full trust. You can do, you know, event receivers. The object model uh, is limited, and the reason is because your your the code that you run in essence is limited to uh, a sandbox solution. So, what's it good for? Well, you can still do a lot of things, and so you, if you come back to you know that data and process, a lot of times SharePoint solutions is you have a list, you know, list A and list B. Uh, and when somebody modifies list A, you need to pick it up, pick the data up, and move it over to list B. Um, you can do things like that. You can access your local data. You can, you know, you, you manipulate stuff on the site. We also have, uh, you know, things like REST services and whatnot that we can use because those are, are relatively friendly. Um, just the, uh, the other week with the SharePoint uh, conference, it was announced that BCS, Business Connectivity Services, is coming to SharePoint Online. Which is huge. I think that's the one that developers are really looking for, um, because all of a sudden we can connect the SharePoint on uh, um, SharePoint Online solution to uh, on-premise data to data in general. You you get to play connect the dots with data at this point, right? So the the final uh, implementation of that I have yet to see, but I am excited about it. I, I know that there's two ways to implement business data. Uh, uh, BCS solutions, but uh, within the SharePoint Online environment, I think the challenge is going to be uh, implementing the the .NET based entity models, um, just because of you know some of the restrictions on things like full trust and whatnot. And I, I'm going to flip my IT hat on here right now because this is something we were dealing with at Exchange as well in Office 365 is that sometimes you need some mailboxes hosted locally. And more importantly, Exchange is coupled to Active Directory. So you need to have a way to allow 
the cloud to act as, uh, access Active Directory, the Office 365 stuff, to know how to authenticate and so forth. So that bridge exists for Exchange. It makes sense that they build a similar bridge for SharePoint through BC, for this is business connectivity services you're talking about, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, actually, the, well, BCS is, is much more about the data connection. SharePoint uh, already um, will work with the same bridge that Exchange will leverage, which is uh, the on-premise solution is we're basically going to, the, the most prevalent solution is to set up ADFS. And then from yeah. ADFS, uh, trust the two organizations. And that's Active Directory Federated Services, for those concerned about acronyms. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, in this, this whole, it's one of the areas, actually, I'm really excited about. Because I, I think for authentications, and obviously I don't get out enough if I'm excited about ADFS. and <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to authentication, this whole claims model uh, that is being pushed, which is essentially what you're getting with ADFS, uh, right. called the claim support. Um really sets up for an authentication model that is relatively easily uh, implemented from an IT pro perspective, but then can be leveraged, you know, essentially seamlessly from the developer side of things. So as a developer, I don't have to really worry as much about authentication. Right. It, it's just going to happen. Yeah. A lot of the times it was, if if I can't trust like AD, if I need a different authentication model, like uh, a, a website that's being uh, pushed out to, like it's a it's, uh, public facing, then as a developer, it's like, well, how are we going to authenticate that? And I have to go and build the whole authentication model. Now we can turn around and say, well, I trust things like live ID and we're actually right. building the trust. And for those that are new to claims, uh, you know, this is a, some recommendations for uh, developers out there. Uh, start learning what, what if you, if you are not already comfortable with what claims does for you, uh, you should read up on, on what that's doing. Uh, the easiest way that I describe it to people is is if you've ever crossed the border through a country and you get stuck in customs, um, when you hand over your passport to the, the customs officer, that is a claims-based authentication. Right. Nice. Well, and we did a show a while back with Dominic Beyer who really talked about claim-based security. And, and one of the big points that came out of this is, look, if you're going to make it in the cloud, you need to know this. And yeah. so it's nice to hear you reinforcing that, that SharePoint in the cloud needs claims-based security. Yeah. And then that really is for the, the hybrid type model, which, you know, 95 plus percent of companies out there are going to be using. Because right. they're going to have Active Directory locally and they want to integrate it with their online services. So, um, you know, small companies like me, for example, I was like, no, I don't want Active Directory here at all. Forget it. <laughs> You know, I'm fine with just having users up in the cloud because, you know, I don't, like I said before, I, I don't have that much here. And so you're going to get a lot of small businesses, which is why uh, Office 365 has that small business offering, et cetera. But, you know, the vast majority of companies that are really going to invest in this are going to have that those AD models locally and then uh, want to integrate it. And the easiest way to do that is with ADFS. What about scalability? I mean, the whole thing we talk about with cloud is that as the demand goes up, we can elastically up that. Does it just work? Yeah, well, sort of. Um, the, re the restrictions in SharePoint Online uh, come up a number of places. And mm -hmm. so uh, one of those restrictions, every SharePoint uh, uh, site collection uh, needs to be housed in a database, so, like for as far as its data and stuff goes. So when you upload a file, for example, there's a database behind it somewhere. So managing those databases, um, there's some restrictions on the size uh, within SharePoint Online for that. So right. as an example, uh, it's a 10 gig default um, for maximum size of uh, collection, uh, 500 megs per user, uh, but you can buy more uh, into it. And so some of these restrictions in the SharePoint model um, can get a little more questionable than if we're well, you know, talking about something like SQL Azure. Right, uh, because you know SQL is designed to to scale up to large sizes. Now SharePoint has that ability as well, but um, we need to scale it up. I want to say in chunks, so that we want to keep database sizes reasonable. You know, for performance reasons, etc. So that um, SharePoint is still going to perform okay, and we don't want in a tenant type environment where it's a shared environment. We really don't want to have um, one tenant for a company really killing the performance of possibly uh, that hardware where other tenants could possibly be running. So um, 
So for that reason, there's there's some limits. You can buy more, and it, it, it happens to be really easy though. And that's that's the part where you know companies are looking at going well, scaling up comparatively. You know, if, if, as when I'm over in the SharePoint Online environment and I want to scale something up, uh, how do I do that? And perhaps in SharePoint Online we have to jump through a couple hoops. But if we go back to the on-premise solution, how do we scale that up? Right, exactly. We're really jumping through similar hoops, right? As far as performance and whatnot. Uh, but then I got to pay somebody to go and do it, <laughs> right? So <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> And nobody likes to pay people to do stuff like that. No, but it, it, that's the whole point is to be able to offload this kind of work. Oh, absolutely. And I, I tell you, the uh, the amount of weekends that I've actually got to uh, ride my motorcycle <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compared to building like a raid array on a server or something like that's that. That's what it's really all about. That's what it's really all about. Yeah. Hey, one more thing here, and that's really, is it reasonable to migrate an existing SharePoint application into the cloud? Or what is it? Maybe more the development model. Do I build it locally and then deploy it to the cloud, or do I have to work from the cloud the whole time? Uh, yeah, great question. So the model now, and, and if you're, you know, for anybody listening that, that is newer to SharePoint and they're saying, hey, I, I really want to get started with this, and, and especially maybe going down the road of uh, cloud, uh, you do want to start from developing locally. Um, the development environment, is, you know, to do things like debugging, uh, all of that stuff, you really need a local, or a, I'm going to say a local-ish install, you know, whether it's your development box and a server that's sitting beside you, as long as you have control over it, you can build that solution and debug it. Now, this is where some of the challenge is. Um, the, one of the reasons for that is because in SharePoint Online, we, we can't exactly attach a debugger to it. That, that would be horrible on the, on the back end. If we just, yeah, let's attach it and, you know, stop a bunch of processes on a server somewhere, uh, in the back end. And so there's a lot of uh, debugging that just can't really happen on SharePoint Online. So it becomes extra important to do the debugging uh, and proper error handling within your code. Which, right. Uh, you know, from experience, I, I look at a lot of code and I was like, wow, what were they thinking? Including some of my own stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, like, a code gone past and you go, wow, what was I thinking then? Um, and uh, so it's really important to do error handling and a lot of testing on site before I, I package something up and deploy it over to SharePoint Online. The other thing about that, and this is kind of the challenge, is I have to be aware of a lot of the limits. Right? So as an example, um, if I'm doing that local setup, uh, when I open up Visual Studio, one of the first things it'll ask when you start a SharePoint project is do you want a farm solution or do you want a sandbox, a, a sandbox solution? Right. And... You know, knowing that while SharePoint Online does not allow for farm solutions, we automatically come down to the sandbox solution. However, there's extra restrictions on sandbox solutions. Most of them are, I don't want to say are minor, but it's really important to go through the list and go, well, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, and, and make sure that the architecture, uh, what you're trying to build in, uh, as far as a SharePoint solution goes, would actually work in a SharePoint Online solution, so with respect to the restrictions. Yeah. But I mean, it mean sounds to me like you've got to work in a sandbox solution if you actually want to get out to Sharebo SharePoint online. Oh, absolutely. And coming back to that Lego model, mm -hmm. um when when we say, well, here's a sandbox solution, a lot of times and, and I really try and get developers out of this mindset. Um developers, if we take something like a, a web part as an example, um developers will go, "Oh, I I can I could actually put all of my logic and and everything inside of this little part." Um, and I can really turn it into an application onto itself. So I'm going to take one little Lego piece and turn it into a really big Lego piece, and then I can do what I'm used to doing back in my, you know, my my regular standard ASP.NET based apps where I, I do everything. Right? right. But the the SharePoint model doesn't really lend itself well to that. It's really important to build those little pieces and say, well, uh, I don't want to put everything in there. What are the pieces that I need? And to break everything down into smaller Lego pieces. So a lot of the times a, a SharePoint solution is building, you know, more than just a sandbox solution. Um, that sandbox solution is probably just one piece, such as a web part, that a user could go on a web page and add, maybe connect to other things that are already existing. And so we're, we're building Lego blocks to really deploy it to the user. Now, we, we may set that up for the user as well and say, okay, here's a page with these five pieces of Lego already on it. Um, and so the user doesn't really have to do anything. It's already pre-configured. may not be able to do anything, but it's important to be able to, to do the Lego pieces because moving forward, 
you know, we want a new page, such as we want a chart for somebody uh, for, you know, order data or, or whatever, uh, we may already have that piece, and it's just a matter of taking that piece and deploying it to another page. And that we can typically do through the UI. And so we're trying to offload a lot of what we would normally do in an ASP.NET app as a development cycle. We're trying to get pass out to a, a, a user cycle. Right. Well, that's about all the time we have. Sorry I didn't chime in more. I'm just uh, kind of unknowledgeable about what you guys are talking about, but uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it, and I, I know the listeners do too. It's, it's all about fluffy bunnies. <laughs> it's all about fluffy bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> and getting the time to ride that motorcycle. You got it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Neil. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for your call. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a